Good evening and welcome to the Locked On Winnipeg Jets podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host, Harrison Lee, an avid Winnipeg Jets fan and an online blogger. You can follow me on Twitter at HLLivingLoco and follow our podcast Twitter at LO underscore Winnipeg Jets. Tonight's episode is brought to you by Built Bar, the only protein bar that looks, tastes, and feels like a candy bar. You can head on over to BuiltBar.com, and when you place an order within the next week or so, you can get a free cooler with purchase and enjoy $10 off your first order using promo code LOCKEDON. Again, that is promo code LOCKEDON for $10 off your first order. And if you've already ordered before using that promo code, don't worry, the code has been refreshed as part of their new relaunch program. If you want to know more about Built Bar, be sure to stick around after the first segment to hear more about their new and improved formula. On tonight's episode, we're going to recap a few of the uh, past games from yesterday, as well as some of the games that are currently ongoing today. Uh, a few are actually in progress as we speak, so I'll talk about what the uh, the current scorelines are looking like, as well as what that may mean if they hold, especially as we head into tomorrow and uh, I think it's Tuesday, where we'll start to see... I think the finalized second round matchups and, and rankings. Kicking us off, the first game of last night was Boston versus Carolina, and this was right on the heels of Tuka Rosk in announcing that he, in fact, was going to opt out of the remainder of the postseason because he wants to spend time with his newborn and the rest of his family, which I think is a, a pretty cool thing. You know, he wants to be a dad, he wants to be a husband, and I think that that is totally cool by uh, pretty much anyone with common sense. People will say, oh, he's neglecting his responsibilities and he's, you know, leaving the team out to dry. But the thing is, is Boston has a great backup in Yaroslav Halak. And in fact, Halak was magnificent against Carolina, stopping most of their shots and only surrendering one goal. I tend to think that Halak has always been very underappreciated. Wherever he's gone, he's been a very capable either starter or secondary starter or even a backup. The thing with Halak is that even in his advanced age, he continues to be one of the best goalies in the NHL. And I really feel like, you know, he's, his whole career has always been something of an underrated career. And now he's getting a chance to really show off the fact that he could be a starter somewhere, even though he is kind of reaching towards the end of his career. It doesn't seem like he was particularly tested in this game, though. I don't think Carolina was all that good. And it seems like the Bruins are starting to put two and two together as far as being a really strong defensive and two-way transition game is concerned. They just didn't give the Canes very many looks, and ultimately that was more than enough to keep the uh, the Bruins ahead in this one 3-1. I wouldn't say that Carolina is in a whole lot of trouble yet, but they are down 2-1 in the series, and things are not as uh, consistent as they'd like it to be. I think the fact that they're struggling to create offense here and there is probably not a great sign against a team like Boston, which e- even when they are maybe a little bit more passive, can be a very difficult defense to break down. In the previous game between the two teams, uh, Boston's passive defense actually cost them significantly. But here, the the Canes weren't able to take advantage of that, and I think Boston just played an all-around much stronger game. The game that followed that was uh, Colorado versus Arizona, and Arizona desperately needed a win here to stem the bleeding. Surprisingly, though, they only squeaked out a win because Darcy Kemper continued to be amazing, and they were opportunistic on a few opportunities that they were able to create. Colorado carried most of the play throughout the entire game, but Arizona, again, just remains one of those really pesky teams that you just can't quite seem to pin down, and Darcy Kemper kept them alive long enough for them to score a couple of greasy goals and pull out a win. They, uh, you know, chip into the series lead just a little bit, and they'll need another win tomorrow in order to stay alive and and keep things going, because if it gets to a 3-1 series lead for Colorado, Arizona's probably done. The thing I don't really have a great read on is if Arizona makes it out of this first round, what then, I guess? Because it looks like Vegas is probably going to come back and, and be one of the top teams in this Western Conference whenever the next team that challenges them reaches the final stage before the Cup Finals, so... Yeah, I mean, uh, well, 
I guess in fairness, if you survive Colorado, you'll probably survive Vegas. Uh, at that point, you'll, you're pretty much immune to anything because I would say that for me, Colorado is either the first or second best team in the West. And I don't say that lightly. I really think that that is a fantastic squad. They have a ton of depth. They're very good in their top six, and they have competent goaltending. I guess in this playoff structure, anything is possible, but I think Arizona has a really uphill battle. Uh, the last game that we're going to talk about in this first segment is probably the one that is most intriguing for lo- most folks because this is the series that has gotten so much attention, and that is Tampa Bay versus Columbus. And this game was kind of more the same of what we've seen in the series, where Tampa Bay was, for the most part, pretty dominant. Columbus kind of hung in there for almost the entire game. Unfortunately for Jonas Corposalo and company, it just wasn't quite enough, and Tampa Bay ended up winning 3-2. I believe the game-winning goal was from Victor Hedman, and it was like a slap shot or something. So this is just a a bit of a tough loss. Tampa Bay deservedly has the 2-1 series lead, but I think you can easily uh, respect the kind of effort that Columbus has put forth in in this entire playoff series because, yes, look, they, they play a really terrible style of hockey to watch. It's not attractive. There's a lot of block shots. There's not a whole lot of possession. Uh, generally speaking, Columbus has to be really opportunistic, and they're relying on Jonas Corposalo and Pierre-Luc Dubois to really carry them. I think that they had a couple of missed opportunities in that game, where I think a Bemstrom might have hit the post on an open net. Uh, Ovechkin did something similar a couple of nights ago. But at the end of the day, I, I really don't think that you can complain about Tampa Bay having the series lead. They've earned that lead, and I think that they are for sure the better team. What'll be interesting is in the next game, uh, whether or not Jonas Corposalo and the Blue Jackets can kind of clog Tampa Bay up and try and keep this series within reach. I mean, they're only down one game, uh, and of course, uh, Game 4 is going to be a pivotal moment in this series. It's probably going to determine whether or not Tampa Bay is the one to you know come out on top on this series. We've seen Columbus be a really pesky opponent before, and when their backs are against the wall, they seem to somehow find just that extra little bit of strength and willpower to get through it. Obviously, they do have some skilled players and some quality depth forwards, but I think generally speaking, we all know that Tampa Bay absolutely outguns them by a sizable margin. And this is one of those games where Columbus just really wasn't able to create much at all. So, you know, as far as opportunistic nature of goal scoring is concerned, they didn't even have that many opportunities to to take advantage of. And that's going to be tough going forward because Tampa Bay is a really deep squad. This Game 4 is going to be do or die for Columbus, and they really have to figure out some way to create just a little bit more low-slot offense. If they can get to Andre Vasilevsky earlier than than later, I think they'll have a much better shot. Vasilevsky is is not that great. I think he's been an okay goalie for most of the postseason, but I would say that he's had a few leaky ones, and his tracking and movement don't look particularly sharp. I think more to the point, you just want to reward Jonas Corposalo for being one of the best goaltenders in the entire NHL postseason picture. Grit your teeth, roll up your sleeves, and find a way to pull out this series-tying game because it, it could be a pivotal moment in this entire series and something to, to get Columbus back on its feet. They may be down, but they are most certainly not out. The Blue Jackets are a great comeback story, but they aren't the only comeback story you'll hear about tonight. Built Bar is back and better than ever. With six brand new flavors including caramel brownie, cookies and cream, cherry barcia, lemon almond cheesecake, carrot cake, and apple almond crisp, your options for getting your daily dose of protein in a tasty, nutritious, candy bar-like form is now more diverse than ever before. Whether you're looking to maintain or lose weight, Built Bar's got you covered. 
Their bars are low calorie, low sugar, high protein, and high fiber, which is perfect for keto diets. Their bars are usually 200 calories or less, between 17 and 19 grams of protein, around 4 to 5 grams of sugar, and 4 to 5 grams of net carbs. So you can always indulge when you want without any of the guilt. If you place an order now, you can get a free cooler with your purchase for the next week or so. And when you're checking out, be sure to use promo code LOCKEDON for $10 off your next order. Again, that is promo code LOCKEDON for $10 off your next order at BuiltBar.com. If you're curious, don't delay. Head on over to BuiltBar.com today and try out their sampler box. The final game of last night's festivities I'll talk about in two parts because they also had the second game of the series today, or in this case, uh, the fourth game of the series, but the second game of the back-to-back today. So this is, of course, Vegas versus Chicago, and Vegas for this entire series has pretty much held the decisive edge, and I don't think that this is particularly surprising. Chicago's a bad team, and right now they're basically getting by on a lot of really lucky opportunities and scoring chances, plus some bad goaltending from Vegas, and then some really strong, strong saves from Corey Crawford. Last night, they ended up losing 2-1 to Vegas, which is, again, not shocking. The Golden Knights are a great team. And like mediocre Vegas, I would take over most of Winnipeg's season. So as you can guess, this is just a bit of an uphill battle. And Vegas took a 3 nothing series lead, at least based on last night's results. This evening, Chicago was staring down the barrel of elimination and really on the brink of disaster. I call it the brink of disaster, but I think if you're uh, Chicago, you're just really just having fun. You're not really here for a particularly deep playoff run. You're, you're just kind of expecting things to go however they're going to pan out. I mean, you don't really have any expectations as far as finishing a high-end series with a really great victory. Mostly you're expecting to get eliminated by one of the top teams in the NHL. At this stage of the game, whatever happens is basically gravy because the the Hawks are really squeaking through. They're even worse than the Jets are at this stage, and I don't think that anyone can really argue that they deserve to win a game in the series or to come out on top of the series, period. But somehow, Corey Crawford tonight pulled them out of the fire and helped them to a 3-1 win. Chicago got some really disgusting goals, including a Matt Highmore one that really should not have gone in at all, but Corey Crawford at the other end just basically shut down Vegas' offense. Vegas deserved so many goals tonight. I mean, they could have easily won 5-1 or even 6-7-1, or but Corey Crawford was just absolutely magnificent, and truly, I think he was one of the most standout players of the entire day. While Jonas Corposalo has been taking a lot of the headlines, I kind of think that uh, Corey Crawford really deserves some of that share as well. I mean, he's been brilliant. I think he's done about as well as you could expect somebody in his position. And Chicago, even having a chance at, at doing something or anything in the series, really, is all credit to him being so great. On a personal level, I'm pretty happy for Corey because I know that his career has had quite a few ups and downs, especially regarding his injury history. He's had a number of concussions. He's been sidelined for weeks and months at a time. And really, I I thought he was getting closer to retirement than anything else. But here he is, still fighting, still putting on a good show, and keeping Chicago competitive. For all intents and purposes, Chicago should have been eliminated tonight, but Corey Crawford gave them one last chance at doing something a little bit more. And Crawford himself said that he hopes that this is a a momentum-building movement and something that gives them a a chance at, at evening the series up or at least winning one more game. The reality is that the next game will probably be Chicago's last, but I think that they've put up a pretty good fight. That said, if you're the Hawks, there are some worrying signs, and I think the biggest thing is that defensively, I, I every time I watch the Hawks, they just don't really seem to engage Vegas' skaters, and the Knights have free reign over that offensive zone and the low slot area. This is like a continuing theme with the Blackhawks, and it's something that I kind of wonder about, you know, for next season. 
If Chicago can't figure out how to shut down that central slot area, I don't really know what they're going to do going forward because that is something that Vegas had so many opportunities to score off of, and really Chicago didn't do anything to limit those chances. On the Vegas side of things, I continue to see so much that impresses me about Vegas. I I think that they have a, a really great power play. I think that their puck movement and skating are both fantastic. Their players seem to have extraordinary offensive awareness. And so many of their players get into really dangerous opportunities uh, just from skating into good positions and taking very smart shots. I saw Nate Schmidt activating a lot between the neutral zone and offensive zones, and every time he made a zone entry, he was trying to rip a really dangerous shot, not necessarily just a point shot, but a slap shot from distance where he had nice traffic, he had a good shooting lane, and he had opportunities to create rebounds for his teammates. I also liked Shea Theodore's game, and I think Shea Theodore continues to be one of the most underrated players in the league. He's just a really scary offensive defenseman and somebody who, he plays a really versatile game. He's somebody who I I really think you could deploy in multiple positions and get some sort of value out of him because he's so smart. He's very good at attacking. He's capable of tracking back and shutting down offensive opportunities and counters, and he's just a really well-rounded offensive defenseman. He's somebody that I wish Winnipeg had gotten to first, but of course Vegas plucked him from Anaheim, and that is what it is. I also you know, like to see Mark Stone doing pretty well, even though I, I wish he was a Jet. I think that you know he would have been a, a key contributor on the Jets team. He's still been very good for Vegas, and he continues to put out very good performances overall. I like the way that he transitions between uh, defensive positioning to offensive areas. He seems to just know where to be at all times, and when he's in the offensive zone, his shots and scoring opportunities are always really dangerous. He's capable of moving from a very wide position to a narrow shape as soon as he feels like there's a scoring opportunity down in the low slot area, and he's always got his head up looking for a a passing lane, or if he needs to take a, a shot himself, he can also do that. He's very capable of scoring quite a few goals. He's done a lot of that throughout his career. He's just a really versatile threat, and I've been impressed with him this series. One guy that does seem to be on the fringes of everything is Alex Tuck, and I feel like because of his contract situation and where he is at the stage of his career, you know, Vegas may jettison him in the near future. If they do, Winnipeg should immediately be on the phone trying to get him from either Vegas itself or whoever the Knights trade him to. I'm a big fan of the way Tuck plays the game, and I think that he would be a major impact player for the Jets, especially in the near future. At one point, I compared him briefly to Blake Wheeler, although I think his approach is slightly different than what Wheeler used to do in his prime. You know, Tuck is probably not on that level of player, but he can certainly be a a capable middle six to top six forward and somebody who I would love to see wearing a Jets sweater. Closing us out this evening, we'll cover the last few games as well as some of the uh, action that is currently ongoing right now between Vancouver and St. Louis. I think everyone just about is probably rooting for the Canucks in this series, and man, I kind of hope they do it because it'd be a great underdog story and also screw the Blues. Sorry, Locked on Blues. No harm, no foul. Love y'all. Today's NHL action was a little bit more normal after the Vegas and Chicago game, but there were a couple of interesting results. Washington lost in overtime to the Islanders 2-1, and I think that at this point, Washington is done. I think that, like I said in their previous episode, they look slow and old, and their only change today was to put Brian Pinho in, which I just don't really um, understand in particular. I don't think that Brian was going to be a difference maker for that squad, and of course, they lost in overtime on a Matt Barzal goal, so... You might as well just fold fold it up and, and send them home because I think the Caps are dumb. I think that they just don't really have it this year. And it's not shocking. I mean, this team at this stage is, is looking a little behind the times. And I feel like we've seen the best of them 
already. I think they also need to talk about the future of Todd Reardon with that team because I feel like Reardon just hasn't gotten the best out of that roster and continually he makes decisions that make me scratch my head a bit. You know, I know that Reardon is a good coach or was a very good assistant coach at least, but it seems like this whole head coaching thing is just not quite uh, up to snuff for him. I think it's a lot to to try and walk in Barry Trotz's shoes after Trotz laid such a, a legacy of success. And look, people will say, you know, Trotz only won one cup with a, a roster that should have won multiple cups. And, you know, there is some truth to that. But by the same token, I also think Washington was really unlucky in most of the playoff series that they lost before they ended up winning the cup. Trotz was finally the one to break that curse, and they got a cup, so... You know, I think Reardon has big shoes to fill, and thus far he just really hasn't done much for me. Trotz clearly has his number right now, and it's it's not a good time to be a Caps fan, let me tell you. I also don't think it's a particularly great time if you want to avoid cardiac arrest as either a Stars or a Flames fan. Dallas won an absolute barn burner against the Flames today to tie the series 2-2 and win the game in overtime 5-4. Calgary again had the lead heading into the third period and actually into the final seconds of the game, but Joe Pavelski scored a hat-trick game-tying goal to take it to overtime before John Klingberg blasted one from the point to win it. This is like the second time this series Calgary had a lead and then kind of blew it, or or they were in a tie game situation and also blew it at, you know, right before the end of the regulation period. So... I kind of wonder what exactly it is the Flames are going to do going forward. I mean, they're they're an all right team, and I think that they have some really good skilled depth players. Dylan Dubé has been stepping up. Sam Bennett continues to grease and, and bully his way to goals. And there are some legitimately positive signs, but I think Dallas has really given them a workover, and, and the Flames are really struggling. I mean, this Stars team just seems to have a little bit of extra jump every now and then that puts Calgary in a real tight situation. Dallas was very good today, and I feel like they have, in some ways, a little bit of momentum heading into the next game. I think it's just going to be a bit of a seesaw series, and whoever is able to get that fourth win first is going to come out on top. But this is like a, a the most 50-50 series, I would say, of all of them that have happened so far. I kind of feel like Dallas is somehow going to pull it out, but you know, you could really convince me either way, and I, I think you'd have a, a fairly safe argument. Philadelphia and Montreal also played another game, and Philadelphia won one nothing in what was a fairly unexciting and very bad special teams game from both teams. Uh, Philadelphia leads a series 2-1, but I don't think that this is the kind of performance that either uh, fan base will crow about. It was a perfunctory win. Philadelphia was not particularly clinical in front of net. Montreal also was not quite super clinical. Uh, just not a whole lot to say about this game, other than that I think the goaltenders were pretty decent. Um, special teams were bad. Not a whole lot to talk about because there wasn't a whole lot happening in-game. The final game of the evening is currently underway. It's St. Louis versus Vancouver, and Vancouver leads the series 2-0. They want to really put a stranglehold on the series by trying to pull out a win tonight, and the Blues are going to give them heck for it because I think St. Louis is pretty upset. The Blues actually uh, swapped out Jordan Bennington for Jake Allen, which is an interesting change because, you know, Bennington has struggled quite a bit recently, but I don't know if Jake Allen is exactly the guy I would entrust the, the future of this series with, just because I don't think that Allen is much better, but I could be mistaken. This first period has gone by without either team recording a goal, so maybe Allen is going to give them the spark that they need, but my guess is Vancouver is probably going to win. It does seem as though they've lost Tyler Myers to a fairly serious injury on a bad hit, so that's not going to be, well, at least for Canucks fans, they're probably not thinking it's going to be great. This actually probably does help them in terms of on-ice performance, just because whenever Myers is on the ice, things not so great tend to happen to the Canucks. 
Jets fans know exactly what I'm talking about, and I think Vancouver fans have very quickly found out that, you know, Tyler Myers looks like a top-four defenseman, but doesn't always play like one. His on-ice performance aside, I hope he gets healthy soon. It sucks getting injured, and he's had quite a few injuries throughout his career, so hopefully it's nothing too serious. That's going to do it for our weekend playoff coverage. Be sure to check out our Locked On National podcast, hosted by Sarah Avampado before you log off. We'll have more game recaps coming up throughout the rest of this week. Thanks for listening, have a great night, and go Jets go!